Welcome to The Well Podcast, a safe place to find health and wholeness for your body, mind, and heart. My name is Kari Davis, growing up a pastor's daughter, being widowed at 38 with three little kids, being betrayed by those close to me, and now blending my family with a man that made my heart come back to life. I know that life can change and get derailed, but come to The Well, our online wellness collaborative where you will find restoration through wellness, inner healing, faith, and freedom. In the Bible, the woman at the well went for water, but when Jesus showed up with truth and healing, she got living water. So grab your bucket, a cup will not do, and join me at the well. It's time to refill, reset, and restore. This is going to be a very, very, just a riveting conversation. I think that it's so important to understand this topic. And I'm so pleased to have Marie Ellis Cook. Marie is a relationship coach and she's a narcissistic abuse survivor. And so that is going to be a really interesting conversation. So Marie, thank you for being on and sharing your story with us. Thanks for having me, Kari. (laughs) So tell us first about you before we get in. This is a really heavy topic, but I think this is a health and wholeness podcast. I've talked a lot about relationships and healthy boundaries and even tipped my toe, even though it's not the main thing that we talk about into dysfunctional relationships, because I think we all come in contact with them. And so I'm so excited to learn from you today. And I'm sorry that this has been your experience, but uh, let's start with what you have going on right now? Where do you live? What does life look like for you? Yeah, I would love to to answer that. So right now I live in the state of Utah in the United States. I'm originally from Singapore, born and raised. I love my life here. I am a military wife and I have a son. So between coaching full-time and being available for my son and being able to adapt to military life. It's kind of crazy, but I love it. Oh, that's awesome. So where did you live before Utah? We just moved from Washington State, the Seattle area. Yeah. Oh, awesome. And how old is your son? He is 18 months. Oh my goodness. A little one. Oh, oh, so sweet. My oldest is 18 years old, so I would pay anything for him to be 18 months again. Oh, you look so young, so I, I would have no idea you have an 18-year-old. Oh, man, he he leaves for college really soon, so most of my podcasts have been about a bleeding mom's heart, not nursing. Oh. But I think, like I said, this is such an important question or topic to talk about. So first... Um, I hate to ask, but how did you learn about narcissism? It's nothing that you would wish upon anyone, but can you share that with us? Yeah, definitely. Just for context, I want to go back a little bit further than that in my life. The nice thing about being a millennial and growing up with the internet is being able to use the internet to learn about things. And the first time I wanted to get help for what was going on in my family, I decided to go on Google and I typed in, why is my mom nice to everyone but me? Mm. And back then, there weren't a lot of articles on toxic or dysfunctional families. 
Mm-hmm. And what I read was about forgiveness and making amends. And so I pushed through. And as I got older and social media came about, I was in college and I was confiding in a friend. And he was like, Marie, this is way too heavy for me. You need to see a therapist. And in Singapore, where I'm from, there's still such a taboo around mental health. And especially in Asian cultures, because there are a lot of Asians still believe in superstitions. Mm-hmm. Like my grandma taught me that if you have a mental illness, it's because you were cursed by a demon. Ugh. And so for me to go and see a therapist was such a foreign concept to me but luckily I was in the U.S. and I went in secret and I decided to see a therapist and that was when I first learned about narcissism my therapist said are you familiar with narcissism and I had never heard that term before Mm. and she read out the DSM-5 which is the diagnostic and statistical manual for mental disorders reading out the traits of what someone who has narcissistic personality disorder would look like, what kind of traits they would have. And for listeners who are not familiar with narcissism, the the three main things of a narcissist would be they have an inflated sense of importance. They have an extreme sense of entitlement. They have a deep need for excessive admiration and validation Mm-hmm. And they also lack empathy. Yes. And I was always confused growing up why my mother would be so kind and so generous with other people. Mm-hmm. And she would be with me as well when there, when there would be other people around. But when we were alone, she was a completely different person. She would be neglectful hostile aggressive towards me and I always felt like there was something wrong with me Mm -hmm. and now that I had the vocabulary to express what I had been experiencing my whole life even though it was difficult to accept the way my mother was it still felt like a burden was lifted off my shoulders because now I had the vocabulary to explain my childhood experiences. Absolutely. Oh, and thank you so much for defining it. I was going to ask you, ask you to do that because I think that the word is thrown around too much. I think that it's used synonymously with selfishness or um, just someone who is kind of self-involved, you know, they're such a narcissist. They're just always thinking about themselves where true narcissistic disorder really goes above and beyond. And a lot of times um, I'm sure that you're going to get into some of the coping and, um, and, and different parts of the process, but it really is a different thing. It really is a disorder and it's very, very hard to navigate when you're on the inside of it. And so my experience has been being an advocate for someone in a relationship with a narcissist. I I was in relationship, but not as close as marriage, you know? So it was, and I hate to throw it around lightly, but it is, I think, so important to understand it so that we all have selfish tendencies. We all have, you know, I think that there's a spectrum. I think that we all have dysfunction in our different relationships 
But when you're in this game that you cannot win and the game is always changing is all is kind of how it feels to me. Is that, is that a, an okay descriptor? Oh, definitely. And that's how people go insane having a relationship with a narcissist because whatever you do, it will never be enough for them. Right. Right. And so, and so I have learned in certain of these relationships that they cannot get my words, that, that I just no longer will give any words to them because when it's gotten to that point and it's so out of control and dysfunctional, um, there was no way to get out of it until I just quit giving them any ammunition. And so are you to that point with your mom? Has there been any healing or has she gotten healthy or no? I don't know what she's up to. I don't have a relationship with her. Okay. So, so you have found that strategy is sometimes necessary also to sever the relationship. Yes. And going no contact definitely wasn't a decision I made lightly. Mm-hmm. I spent many years having conversations with her. And I've been in therapy for over six years. And it wasn't until I worked with a life coach myself that I realized that I really had to let her go because I already was in limited contact with her. I never called her. I would only talk to her if she called me. And yet that was provoking her in some way my my limited contact and when my son was born there were just some things that happened that really shook me to my core and realized that even though I wasn't protected from her emotional and psychological abuse I have to protect my son from that at all costs and shortly after he was born that was when I went no contact with her. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that is what I think is so, so important. If you're listening to this and you're not quite sure, you know, we don't diagnose other people, but at the same time, you know, there's a, there's many resources and, and this is so you can use Marie as a resource is that if somebody was physically abusing you, if they were sexually abusing you, you would stay away And when it's emotional and psychological abuse, a lot of times we stay because there's no, I'm air quoting here, signs that anyone else can see, but it's, it's, I, um, watching someone very close to me be in a relationship like this, I, I wish that it was almost physical because this was so much worse. So how does that trauma from emotional and, and psychological abuse show up in your bodies, in people's bodies? What have you found? Yeah, that's a great question. Going along with what you said, sometimes, like I too, when I was younger, I wish that people could see my invisible wounds that were in me. Because on the outside, it looked like we were a perfect family and it couldn't be further from the truth. I had chronic insomnia. I used to lose a lot of hair. Mm -hmm. And even when I still had a relationship with my mother when my son was born, because I had already spent the last six, seven years healing, 
that even when my parents came, when my son was born, I, I wasn't as stressed out as I used to be mm-hmm. because I had already done so much healing. Yeah. And so like, like I mentioned, I, I lost a lot of hair, um, chronic insomnia. I used to have the worst back aches. And I remember when I first started seeing a therapist and the one therapist who taught me about narcissism, there was this one time she asked me to lay on her couch. She has a couch in her office. And from head to toe, she asked me to share what I'm feeling in every part of my body. Mm. And that was the first time in my life that I realized that every part of me hurt. Mm. But I thought it was normal. I thought it was normal to always be in pain. Yeah. I was just so used to it. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I decided to do was go see a massage therapist. And he was like, how old are you again? And at, at that time, I think I was like 22, 23. <laughs> and he said, you are way too young to like have all these knots all over your body. I would have knots all over my arms, my legs, my back. Yeah. And he was like, you're not a professional athlete. Like, I just, I don't understand why you have all these knots all over you. And I remember feeling so embarrassed. I, I was still in the closet in terms of like not being confident of sharing what I've been through. And I remember going home and I was crying. I was like, is this why? I have been in so much pain is my family the reason why I've been in all this pain all these years and I didn't know yeah well that's why that's why we have to talk about it on the well podcast because because we talk about holistic health and if you have digestive issues so much of the time it's because of trauma and dysfunction in your relationships like you're saying chronic inflammation is so many times not sleeping So people will come to me for essential oils or for natural solutions. And it's just very clear that there's something else going on. So it's, you know, we're such holistic beings and, and that's heartbreaking, especially to think of you as a little girl and going through that. And I mean, it's just, it's awful. Do you know of your mother's past? Do you know something um, that, that triggered this? Do you feel like as a narcissist that truly has the disorder, is it some kind of dysfunction in their past? Or, I mean, are you born with it? Is it, have you done any research or, or have any education on that? Yeah, I have. There are a lot of studies that show like the whole argument, you know, nature versus nurture and Mm -hmm. ultimately narcissists aren't born. They are created. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned earlier, narcissism is on a spectrum. And I can't diagnose my mother. I just want to clarify that. Mm-hmm. It's usually a lot of the time, it's usually a secondhand diagnosis because narcissists don't want to get help. Right. And there's so many people who are getting help, whether it's with coaching or therapy or whatever it is some form of healing method because of people who don't want to get help and they're usually narcissists and with conversations that I've had with my mother I've 
tried to gently invite her to get help for her anger issues. And in the narcissistic realm, there's a term called narcissistic rage, where they lose control of you and they lash out and they freak out. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't tell her that. I just said, hey, you're, you seem really angry. Would you want to get help for that? And over the years, I've gently tried to invite her to get some kind of help. And every time she has shut me down or dismissed me. Mm-hmm. And growing up, another thing, too, that I didn't realize was not normal was the things that she would share with me. When I was in therapy, I learned about emotional incest and how with some narcissistic parents, they will have an inappropriate relationship with their child where they treat their child like a spouse. Mm. And she would share things with me that as a child, I shouldn't have known. Mm -hmm. It wasn't age appropriate information. And At the same time, I'm glad she did share with me because it has helped me to have compassion for her and what ultimately led her to become who she is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's the hardest part when you when you do see the hurt, you know, in somebody and you want to be there for them, but their sickness is so bad that you can't be the one to help. Um, Can you speak to, a a lot of times I've heard that they kind of have one person many times that is kind of their target and it will move. But a lot of the times I've heard that empaths, people that really feel other people's emotion, um, many times are like almost like an attractor of narcissists. Have you ever heard that? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because that really that really helped me kind of understand, um, you know, many relationships in my life. I've always been a people pleaser, a little codependent, always wanting to help other people. I mean, I'm a coach too. I'm a mom first, you know, so at, at different times of my life, I, when I learned that it really helped me understand how to, how important it was for me to set healthy boundaries with other people, because people that do kind of, prey on other people that are very emotional or empathetic. Um, I just didn't want to open myself up to that anymore. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. Empaths, highly sensitive people, people who naturally love to help. Mm -hmm. And with narcissists, if they're married, usually their primary victim is their spouse. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I had to be okay with. My original plan was to cut my mother off after my dad passes away. My dad is in his 80s now. And there were just some things that happened. And I called my dad and I said, Dad, remember I told you that I was going to cut mom off after you pass? And he was like, I have a feeling that you should cut her out now. And he said that to me. Wow. And I was like, but I'm worried about you, you know, because if I go, (laughs) one of the supplies that she has 
that she can use as a punching bag. If this punching bag, meaning me, is gone, it's going to mostly be on you again. Mm. And my dad and I had a really long talk. It was like a couple of hours. And he basically gave me the okay. Wow. So I... So cutting out my mother meant I also had to cut out my father because she doesn't let me talk to him. Yeah, and that's another major, major indicator of narcissism is that you're not allowed to talk to certain people or, or the narcissist will control who gets to speak. And, and that is a really, really, that's a really scary place to watch somebody to be in, especially in a marriage is that when they're not allowed to, to tell, right? I mean, that's a, that's a big red flag. If you're not allowed to talk to me, if you're not allowed to tell me certain things, not that in my healthy relationship, I don't keep some things private, but it isn't that my husband's telling me I'm not allowed to talk to other people. (laughs) That would be a major red flag. So how, so, so you mentioned getting into therapy, but how did you begin to how did you begin the healing journey through therapy? You started to work out some of the things in your body. Were there any other things that helped? Definitely talking to other adult daughters of narcissistic mothers, because for so long I felt alone. I felt so alone that I was a terrible daughter, a terrible child for always disagreeing with, my family dynamic and the thing with having a narcissistic parent in the home is that the whole vibe of the house depends on them so if they're in a good mood everyone else is in a good mood if they're in a bad mood everyone else has to suffer there isn't like a healthy um, healthy way to distinguish each family member everyone's just kind of combined and enmeshed that way yeah and as I started to first work on my physical health and what helped me was to not tell my mother because I made the mistake of going to therapy the my very first time and I told my mother and she lashed out at me and and told me that there was nothing wrong with me and she was like, what would people think if they knew you were going? And so I didn't go for another year. Mm. And the nice thing about having the internet was finding all these online communities. And I just, I really just tried everything because mm. I so desperately wanted to be pain-free and I wanted to be happy. That's really what I wanted. It always just seemed like some unattainable dream to live a happy, peaceful life. And so I tried everything, whether it was medication, hot yoga, massage therapy, recovery groups like Codependence Anonymous. Mm -hmm. I, I tried everything. And over time, it just... It, it stuck and my life has never been the same. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm so happy that you got healing. And, and I think that you said a key, key thing, you got a word for it. You got a definition where you could, where you could 
weigh what is truth and what is a lie, what is true about you and what is true about her. And, and that's what's so powerful. And I want everyone to hear today is that it is true that we kind of diagnose someone else. And I don't think we should go around calling everyone narcissists that we're mad at, but there, but there are tendencies. And when it is the true disorder to definitely look it up because gaslighting is a real thing. Um, I'll just explain it really quick. You might be able to explain it better, but um, it's like when someone does something and the narcissist will say that either that they didn't, or can you explain it better? Yeah. So gaslighting is when someone tries to change your reality. <laughs> That's a better definition. Thank you. When uh, <laughs> I was when, gonna give the whole the whole definition of the actual light, like back in the day, but that that's much better. Thank you. Yeah, they're really people who gaslight. They really just want to try to change reality. So, like right now, it's sunny, right? And a narcissist who wants to gaslight in like the most subtle, charming way would have the ability to convince you that it's raining. Yeah. And then that's when you question your eyes, but I see that it's sunny outside. Mm -hmm. But they might say, hey, Kari, I really care about you. And that's why I'm telling you this. It's actually raining. Right. Or, and, and triangulation is another one. It's really raining. And this other person that I just talked to agrees with me. And so why don't you agree with me? Right. And then you go and you just start to go, I'm crazy. Like what is happening? But you're not allowed to talk to other people. And yeah. So the story originally was when, was when people would use a lantern at night and this was in a husband and wife scenario. I believe the husband would, would come home drunk at night and would turn off the, the gas light, but then would wake up in the morning and say to the wife, why did you turn the, the light off last night? And she said, I didn't. And he said, well, yes, you did, because I didn't, you know, I didn't turn it off. So that's where we, where we get the term. But I love that simplifying it to, to just convincing you, especially, you know, narcissists are bright lights. A lot of times, a lot of times they're very talented. They're sometimes very attractive. They seem like they have life all together. And so you compare yourself to them. Like it, it, it's so attractive to believe what they say, but you know it to be a lie. And so it really, it really messes with your mind. So what does, what does the, what does life look like now? Do you feel like, um, do you still feel like you have to center your thoughts and to, and to, and to focus on the truth? Or do you feel like, the wires are now crossed into truth or do you still feel like there's little messaging that sneaks through of what your mom would have said, or will she be mad? Or do you still feel that little tug on your heart that a lot of times when you get out of a dysfunctional relationship, it's, it's hard sometimes to rewire your mind to the truth. Yeah, that's a great question for me personally. I'm at a place right now where I don't, I don't feel the tug. I do hear her voice sometimes. And if I'm stressed at work, I've noticed I need to be, that I need to be more aware of my day 
because sometimes when I'm stressed at work, I do get nightmares still of her. Mm-hmm. And so just being conscious of that, of my body throughout the day and centering my thoughts on truth mm-hmm. that I am safe and that she can't hurt me. Right. Yeah. So is that, is that what is giving you hope now? Oh, definitely. I think that as a millennial, especially, it's like we were taught that family is everything. Mm. And sometimes people are uncomfortable with what I teach because part of what I teach as a coach is deciding if you want to go limited contact or no contact with your narcissistic parent. Mm -hmm. And some people think it's radical, like, who are you to teach people to break up their families? Mm. And for me, it's like, I'm actually teaching hope. I'm teaching people that they aren't bad if they put themselves first and their needs first. Mm -hmm. Because for so long, when you have a narcissistic parent, you're taught that your needs don't matter. Mm -hmm. I would always be so quick to answer the phone when my mother needed my help. Mm-hmm. But when I needed help, she was busy. It was a very one-sided relationship. And so being able to change that mindset and tell yourself, hey, I am worthy of love and respect. And my narcissistic parent or narcissistic family member can't give that to me right now. And that's okay. I'm going to move on. And that brings me hope because I feel like there's so many narcissistic abuse survivors who are afraid of marriage. They don't want to get married. They don't want to have children because they are terrified that they will be the kind of parent to their children that they had. Yeah. And I just want to say you are not your parents. Yeah. And my son will grow up being a child. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all I want for him. His only job is to be a child. I grew up way too fast. My mother would teach me that being an adult is a good thing. And I was always rushing to learn and do adult things. Mm-hmm. And looking back, I didn't really have, like, enjoyable childhood memories. Like, I don't have memories playing or having fun. Mm -hmm. And when I first came to the States to go to university, one of the very first dates I went on, this guy was like, what do you like to do for fun over dinner? (laughs) We were having this conversation, and I was so embarrassed. I didn't know how to respond. I was like, oh, no, I am not fun. What is that? And, yeah, like that that brings me hope that we can break cycles and we can be different from our narcissistic parents. Yeah, absolutely. My mom grew up in a very dysfunctional home and she has said my whole entire life, she has, she has taught me healthy boundaries and healthy relationships. And she decided the dysfunction stops right here. This will not continue with, with my children. And we've had hardship in our family, but we have had love and boundaries and, 
you know, learned who God was based on a really, really healthy parenting. So it is amazing that the cycle can change and, and um, I'm so happy for your son. And you bring up a really good point that we have so many um, just resources at our fingertips. We can learn so much. I remember the night that I watched the narcissist video on YouTube and it just like the scales fell off my eyes and I just understood it. And I knew that I wasn't crazy. And I knew that my loved one that was in this relationship was not crazy. And it just, it finally made sense. And it is such a relief. So if you feel listening to this, like you're in a relationship that the rules are always changing, that no matter what you do or say, that person is never happy. You can't say no, you can't disagree without, usually there's some major lashing (laughs) and, and our relationships are meant to be healthy and life-giving and um, it's just not supposed to be like that. So thank you so much for sharing. And I'm so sorry that that was your life experience, but I'm like, it's so amazing that you're stopping that cycle with your son. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm grateful for it. It took me a long time to get there to be grateful for my childhood, but I'm grateful for it because now I have the privilege to teach other people and help other people. Yeah, absolutely. So do you usually, do you usually work on zoom? Do you work on the phone? How do you usually do your coaching? What does that look like? Yes. So I do have a private student Facebook group for my coaching students and we do meet on zoom. Oh, awesome. Okay. So I will link all of that in the show notes of this episode so that people can connect with you. And I just really appreciate And Anything else? Do you do social media or where can people find you? Yeah. So my Instagram is Marie Ellis Cook, M-A-R-I-E-E-L-L-I-S-C-O-O-K. And then my website is also marieelliscook.com. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so, so much for sharing. This is, I think that this is a heavy topic because it's, it's caused so much pain for so many people. And, but it is once you figure out that you're not, I mean, truly, I felt crazy. I felt like I'm the only one that is seeing this dysfunction, (laughs) this dysfunction, and I must just be the problem. It must be me. And so when you, when you finally figure it out and you realize that when something changes, something will change. I think that's another, I'm just going to put that in at the end. You would know if somebody was different because they're going to maybe tell you, oh, no, no, I'm so sorry. Or because sometimes they even seem like they get it. They seem like they know that they're not being right. But then a little bit of time passes. And if you don't do what they want, it all starts over again. And so I'm with you. Um, Don't criticize Marie out there if (laughs) she's, she's not advocating for just ruining families. But this is true, true sickness that you cannot get out of while you're still giving them your words. And so it's done with um, a very tearful heart. But a lot of times I totally agree with you. It does need to happen. And, and I've seen divorce with very close people to me because of it. And it's really, really sad, but it is, it is definitely a sickness. So thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Kari. 
I hope that you are feeling refilled after being at the Well podcast. Please take a second and fill out a review. This is the only way that we know if you're enjoying the podcast and what you're enjoying about it. Also subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. And we would love to have you in our Facebook community group. The link is in each episode. We are better together at the well.